Jim Shoemaker, Steve Anderson, and Drew Johnson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Well, welcome to today's program. We've got a great program lined up for you today. Plenty of information and education, and we'll throw a little fun just to make it sure that you're enjoying it as much as we are. If you have questions, send them to Jim, J-I-M, 901-683-0989, or you can send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Today's program, we're going to be answering some of your questions. Dr. Kevin Westbrook from Strategic AIM Consulting and Union University is going to talk about chat GPT. Steve Anderson, Drew Johnson is going to give us an update on how to survive this market that just does not seem to want to cooperate with us. So that's the program coming up. But first, I want to introduce you to Dr. Kevin Westbrook, a frequent guest of ours. You know, Kevin, I'm just excited to hear you talking about something that is is now being talked about by a lot of people. We've got Congress talking about maybe some government regulation. It's called Chat GPT. And for those of us that don't know what Chat GPT stands for, and I want to say Chat GPT enough, if I say it, I see, I was told if I say it, can't remember what, what did Steve say? I get a dollar if I say it. Chat GPT. I don't know. But whatever Chat GPT stands for, <laughs> we'll go for it. All right. Go ahead, Kevin. Talk to us. Well, first of all, thanks again, Jim, for the opportunity to be on the show to talk about Chat GPT. I got it. Bad <laughs> a thousand, boys. All right. So far, so good. As a matter of fact, I'll probably mess it up myself, <laughs> so don't worry about it. But uh, that stands for Chat Generative Pre-Training. Transform. Oh, okay, that's right. I was supposed to have to say that. Why the generative pro training transform? Generative, generative pre training transformer. See, I messed it up already. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to call it the Chat AI tool. Oh, How about that? Well, Chat is that GPT. better? I love it. Well, it's not. It, it's it's new, but it's really not new. I mean, really, what it is is a chat bot, and we have been uh, exposed to chat bots all throughout the years, the last several years. I mean, every time you talk to your Siri on your iPhone, you're talking to a chatbot. And what it is, is it's really artificial intelligence that, that communicates back to the user, us, in a natural language processing ability. And so what it does is it, it goes out and it grabs data in a large database. It aggregates that data and it will actually generate text that is written in uh, really academic good English prose, if you will, so that we can understand. It'll create paragraphs and papers, parts of papers that are written well as if we wrote them, which is very interesting. So you get a response back. It's like a search engine and it generates information about the topic that you've put into the search engine. All right. So with that in mind, it's you say it, it's research. You go in, it generates what you're looking for. It's no different than maybe Google or, or Wikipedia. I mean, all those things. It's a tool. It's a tool. Okay. Now, what's the positive impact of chat GPT? Well, it, uh, it's going to increase speed and efficiency for people that use it. I mean, normally when you have to, uh, to write uh, an article or you want to write uh, a, a, 
a blog post or something on your LinkedIn page. You may have to go out and spend a half day of research to understand the topic. What this thing does is you can actually put the topic into the tool and it will generate text as if you wrote it as a human being after, after doing the research by searching multiple sites and databases that are out there that are preloaded. It's a learning. It learns the information that's been loaded into the artificial intelligence. So tool. from a business owner, why should I possibly consider using this tool? I mean, when you think about it, it sounds like something that I would jump on immediately. For me to write something that's got to be profound and important about a subject, right. it's going to take me research time. So exactly. Now I can do it, eliminating the research time. So again, I've already mentioned speed and efficiency. So it will actually do different kinds of writing for the organization. You can put together marketing and advertising script. You can put together uh, consulting pieces of consulting reports internally that you may be writing about your industry, and uh, you can use it to uh, to create a lot of different posts. Uh, out there on blog sites. In fact, there's some interesting research. 81% of business executives consider this AI tool as the new mainstream technology. And it's it's the future of business, let's say. Uh, There was another research um, study that was done that 35% of consumers want to see companies using chatbots like this uh, to answer questions. So basically, customer interfacing, for example. If I have a question and I type that question in, it's going to produce text back to me. Is this as if a human being that's a customer service rep has actually drafted that at his or her computer and it sends it back in, in, in real time? So that's, that's very effective, efficient. It sounds like something that would be definitely used for businesses. I know I got Steve Anderson and Drew Johnson in the studio. And Steve, I mean, this is something that we could use a lot of times just with our clients and helping them get some information. What's your thoughts? Yeah, and, and it really, as you were talking about it, it made me think about, uh, I remember sitting down in front of the computer in 1995 and signing on to AOL for the first time, you know, listen to the, oh, yeah, yeah. all that stuff, right? Yeah, right. And I got on there. I remember I, I literally, I can picture myself sitting at the desk thinking, okay, well, I'm on here. Um not real sure what to do now. <laughs> and and now, I mean, I use the internet all day, every all day, day, right? Yeah. And, In fact, and if I, you don't have internet, you go, what's wrong? Yeah, like if we lose power at the office, I might as well go home. Oh, yeah. you know, there's nothing to do. Nothing to do. Right? And so I, I kind of, just listening to you talk about Jet, uh, chat GPT, I, I, I'm kind of thinking I, I can see how this integrates over time. It's one of those things, it's hard to imagine all the uses of it at the moment, but it's going to probably integrate into just so many things that we do. Is that is that kind of what the thought is? Yeah, absolutely. And everybody's talking about how this is going to revolutionize customer service satisfaction. In fact, one report says that, hey, we think customer service is going to go up 25% in 2023 just because of this AI tool. And what it is, it, it results in better and more coherent written responses that it appears to be written by human, but it's written by the tool. And in fact, it's more, there's more clarity in what this thing will generate than what we normally generate. Because I mean, it's written from an algorithm that's taking into consideration communication. Exactly. Exactly. So if, if I don't write well and I have to go back and reread my emails or I have to reread my, my post, this thing will generate it automatically for me without having to uh, worry about some of the grammar that might be involved. Is it, is it possible that I might try to call in somewhere sometime in the next couple of years then and and not get 
we're experiencing higher than normal call volume. No, and that's our wait not going to happen. Are longer that's than, not going to happen. No, this no, can't help not, with that. You're, you're dreaming here, partner. <laughs> that's that, you know, not 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 this year, not next year, not the next fifty years. That's just that's naturally now going to be the process. Punch seven. Now, here's the bad part about that. When you go one, two, three, it's not so bad. But when you get up to seventeen, you got to wait till you get to seventeen to punch. That's the bad one. Those never mind. Y'all and then, get me. And started. then press twenty-seven to repeat the <laughs> options because you can't remember if it's eight or exactly. or seven. Exactly. That's the problem. Now, Kevin, here's my issue with, with what we're talking about. There's a lot of positives and you've indicated some of the positive. But all of a sudden last week, all of the big wide open door of government regulation stepped in and said, we've got to regulate AI. We've got to regulate chat GPT. They were very specific that they were going to go into this regulatory discussion of what they had to do. So what are the negatives that they're looking at that they think, see, that they've got to regulate it? Well, one of the things is erroneous information. I'll give you an example of this. I went out for fun, and uh, I, I've been in, in an area of research around sales enablement for the last five years, and actually, Jim, have, wrote, have written an academic article with a co-author on sales enablement. And so I was, just for fun typed in my name and the term sales enablement as a contributor to the field of sales enablement. Something I could have done. I could have Absolutely. typed in your name thinking, hey, I might want to hire you, sales enablement, you own a company, I want to check on you. And that would have been a normal search. Right. And what this thing produced actually baffled me. I, mean, I almost fell out of my chair. It said that I owned a company and it named the company Westbrook Consulting. Which sounds, I which I don't own, by the okay, way. Okay, but that sounds pretty good. <laughs> it sounds pretty good, hmm. and I won't reference the name of the book. But it but it said that I that I authored a book that I actually went out to Amazon and found that somebody else wrote that book, and it's for sale on Amazon. And that book was written in 2021, and it said that I was the author of. Was that your book. company in the United States, or was it? Well, funny you should ask that. The company it said that I owned was actually a Canadian company up in British Columbia. <laughs> so, uh, what? And I can see regulatory positions there. So, that's the negative side. That's the downside. What's the risk within the business, or maybe even in society, for the use of this too? Yeah. Well, the, the risk might be is that I go out and hire someone that has written something and I, and I bring them in as a subject matter expert, maybe as an employee or as a consultant, come to find out that this tool has actually written everything that's out there that they were supposedly to have written. And I didn't really get what I thought I was getting. That's a huge risk to us. It's also theft of intellectual property. I mean, you're taking somebody else's intellectual property or, or basically their work, their creativity, and you're claiming it as your own, which to me is a little bit of an ethical violation, almost huh. fraudulent. How do you see it affecting education in your position as a professor in a university, teaching students, guiding students, working towards their masters and PhDs and things like that? What do you, what do you see as the implications of this too when it comes to the educational system? Well, I can see that it, it certainly could be used as a mechanism for cheating. Obviously, uh, if you're if you're having students write papers for a course to complete that course and they could possibly go out and use this to gather uh, text that they actually insert in their paper as their own, which is plagiarism. Uh, I think as a professor, it's going to challenge me to become much more aware and in tune with the subject matter that I, I ask people to write papers on different topics. And because this tool generates such eloquent text around those topics, I'm going to have to become very astute in this around this topic to understand what these people are writing. And then I'm going to have to go cr look at references that they may have cited as references for this paper to make sure that that reference actually said 
what they said in that paper. So there's there's going to be there are going to be a lot of challenges associated with the element of potential cheating out there for for assignments. You mentioned a software that somebody has already either beginning to write or put together that will help the person knowing is this from that individual or is this using you know artificial intelligence and, and again it's just it's just i don't think the research is a problem i think it does save time for research but it's just like if i'm going to write something and it's not mine ethically i need to say the following or this paragraph was or the preceding paragraph or page or chapter was taken from whatever but, but what is that software you were talking about that yeah, there's a, a new software that the, the literature is talking about. It's called GPT-0, and it's it's basically a software that will that you bounce up against the text that comes out of, of, of chat, uh, GPT. As, as human beings, we write with emotion. We write with complexity. And so the two elements that this software supposedly uses is, is, is perplexity of, of the text and then a, a word that I didn't even know existed, but it's <laughs> called burstiness. And I'll, I'll just kind of try to describe what that really is. It's, it's, it basically is human beings, again, we write longer sentences, short sentences, some that are, um, in, there's emotion embedded within some of our statements from a text standpoint. And what this thing does is it evaluates that, that element of perplexity, whereas uh, the artificial intelligence generated text is much more linear. It's, it's not sort of a, a sine curve or sine wave of up and down emotion. It's more linear and, and straightforward. And so I don't know how this works. I'm not a computer person, but it sounds pretty cool that this may be a tool that we could use to actually say, okay, this thing is uh, possibly Obviously generated. doesn't have the wave. It doesn't have the wave. And we're already using software to uh, help us as professors ascertain plagiarism. There, there, there are commercial products out there that we, that we actually have access to at the university now. You know, I, I see this as a lot of positives. And so from a business tool, and I mean, sure, there's a lot of people listening to us right now thinking about this is a, an AI product. It's something that, that maybe I want to proceed and look at it and, and, and work with it. What are some of the, con- the considerations that you would think needs to help them as far as or the employees or the, you know, the CEO of the company and thought, thought process with this particular software? I mean, I'm just thinking... Steve, you mentioned it when we were talking about the program earlier. We always try to have sometimes focus on the negative and and say, okay, but there are some positives. But it's only that consideration of of what to do with it from that standpoint. That's a critical part. Yeah, I mean, like as as we're as as Kevin's talking about this, I'm thinking, you know, I've got a 14 year old daughter and a and a five year old son, and I'm thinking. You know, I really need to emphasize their ability in, in training them up. I need to emphasize their ability to stand up and speak. Yeah. Because the written word, you know, it, that, that that may get diminished over time in some ways. Whereas if you if you can stand in front, in front of somebody and speak, you kind of carry something that at least chat GPT doesn't necessarily, you know, beat you up. You exactly. know, that, that doesn't hurt that. That's so um, anyway, I, my mind's just racing with all the different ways that this that this funnels out into uh, just everyday life. But it, yeah, there's, there's all sorts of weird positives and negatives. But like always, we tend to catastrophize technology and assume all these terrible things. And we are highly unimaginative with 
what it can do on a positive basis. Well, we've thrown out some big words, catastrophize. It's another word I haven't heard before. I, I think I that's the word. I, I hope like that's the word. I like it, guys. I it like is it. now. <laughs> you know, I think the key is that I, creativity is a part of your brain that you have to exercise. And I, I'm not saying that using the tool, I just fear that we could all of a sudden let things do work for us and see that as a positive when sometimes the work of being creative mm. generates and exercises that part of my brain, at least, that I know I need to continue to work at. And creativity for that five-year-old, that, that 12-year-old, there are people, that's that age generation that, if you know, we, 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 if you think about it, that generation is now to a point where they really don't know a lot about imagination. Well, when I grew up, imagination was what we played with. Yeah. <laughs> we got up every morning because we didn't have a lot to play with, so we exercised a lot of imagination. Today, it's not there, and that's the problem. So creativity can become a similar situation. So, Kevin, you got the last words. Yeah, well, just let me say this. As a company owner, uh, you're out there running your company or maybe you're a manager. I think you really need to think through tightening up some of the policies on in, inside the company on how to use this AI tool. And... I think there's some other risks that we'd have to consider. Maybe that's for a future program down the road, but but th could there be some legal risks risk to your company in using this tool to generate uh, items that, that maybe seem to be plagiarized or somebody else's intellectual property? From a parent standpoint, I guess I want to conclude with this. We just need to stay in involved with our children mm -hmm. and involved with their schoolwork and what they're working on. And we need to talk to them about the ethical considerations of using this tool and, and why it's wrong to use somebody else's property for your own. And I think, uh, you know, verbal, basically verbal communication, we're going to have to go back to the way we verbally communicate. If I can't articulate what I've just written, then probably I've plagiarized what I've written. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the, the advent of verbal communication and, and the ability to articulate, which we're losing, by the way, as a society, is just having good conversation because we hide behind the, the cloak of the email or the cloak of the computer. I think is something we need to really consider. And as a parent, just stay involved, talk to your kids, ask them what they're working on, how they're constructing the thought process into the paper. It's just being involved in your kids at night yeah. and helping them with the homework and the assignments. That's kind of what Steve was talking about, just learning to communicate, stand in front of a group and communicate thought and creativity and ideas. And I think that's great. And I think that's so important. Thank you, Kevin. Dr. Kevin Westbrook has been our guest. He is a professor from Union University, professor of marketing and AI is what we've been talking about. Chat, guess what? GPT. <laughs> you got all the way through. <laughs> I got through it. All right, guys. Now, I want to kind of throw out our question. And for you, Steve and Drew, the question is from Mike. And Mike was very serious. He says, I'm depressed about the market. Now, he started almost with a pregnant pause. You could tell the word depressed was not a quick word he thought about. I am depressed about the market. What should I do? Now, let me give you a little bit of conversation. And when he asked, and I said, all right, let's, let me ask you a couple of questions. He said, well, I've lost over 25% in the market since January of last year. I'm depressed. How, how old are you? I'm, about, I'm 58 years old. Um, I'm in public accounting. So this guy was educated, had been an investor for a long period of time. What's causing his depression outside of the loss in the market? And here's what he said. And I think he, it showed me some things that he had obviously knows his research. He said, government, politics, Washington, the discussion about the debt ceiling, U.S. bond default, you know, rising interest rates, recession, media noise. He said, I'm emotionally 
charged at this point because I'm depressed about what's going on. I don't see a future. I don't see what's happening. I am talking about throwing in the towel and cashing it in. All right. You could tell he was excited. I tried to put as much of that emotion that he had when he was talking to me. I don't know. It sounded like it was generated by an AI. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Uh, guys, I want to answer that question when we come back. Because really, I don't think he's the only person with that question. Volatility, as we know, is both ups and downs. I want to talk about really what he was invested in. It's not a surprise I asked him to tell, tell me about his portfolio, and he hesitated. You, he is a do-it-yourselfer. So when we come back, we're asking him, answering his question, what should I do? If you just tuned in, I want you to remind you that you can, of course, find our program, Talk Money, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Subscribe to the podcast. We appreciate it. And if you've got any questions for us, type them to Jim, J-I-M, 901 683 0989, or you can send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Stay with us. We'll be back. We're going to answer Max's question, and that's a question we all have. So I'll be with you. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Financial professionals do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Kevin Westbrook or Strategic AIM Consulting. The views and opinions expressed are those of Kevin Westbrook only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money, and I do want to remind you one more time again that if you've got a question for us, just type your question to J-I-M-Jim, 901-683-0989. And I want to tell you that we have a PDF that I'm going to offer to you. If you're a listener, it's called Don't Panic. Go to our Shoemaker Financial Facebook page, search for the document in our post. It's absolutely free, and it just helps you kind of see some things that we're going to be talking about. Drew, I want to lead with you because I think Mike's question, he says, I am depressed about the market. What should I do? Now, as I talk with him about this, and literally it was the economy. I mean, he goes about government, politics, Washington, debt ceiling, all those things that's the economy-related what do you think when you see it, the market slash economy? I mean, overall, I think the economy, if you look at it from a 30,000 foot view, um, we are seeing a gradual slowdown in overall activity. It has not been something that's been dropping off a cliff. It hasn't been a straight down plunge. It's just been a gradual lessening of activity, gradual lessening of spending, and it hasn't been uniform. Um, housing has been in a bit of a slump now for you know, almost a year, 
uh, depending on what metric you look at. Manufacturing, on the other hand, it 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 varies. If you're looking at the uh, if you're looking at the ISM purchasing managers index, that indicated some contractions since around October. But if you look at um, if you look at durable goods orders, which that's anything from washing machines to jumbo jets, um, that's actually been up since December, since uh, September 2020, uh, around 10 to 11 percent each month from the previous year. So that's still been strong. Uh, where we've seen the weakening really has been where it really counts, which is in consumer spending. Um, there was a lot of uh, press back uh, a few weeks ago over the retail sales number because it was higher than what was expected. But there wasn't a whole lot of attention given to the fact that if you account for inflation, it was actually flat for the second month in a row uh, from the previous year. Uh, and it's been consistently less than 2% year over year. Uh, since February of 2022. So we're, we are seeing some slowing down in consumer spending, which is about 70% of the economy. So what, what I'm hearing you say is that from your chair, and, and you spent a lot of research time in this, the economy itself, as you see it, should be not a concern today for Mike. Is that what you're saying? Right. Today, it, it, it's still not a concern. It's still, it's it's a bit weaker than what it has been over the the year before the hand, which some of that was kind of baked in. We had such a, a, a such a depressed activity from all the shutdowns from COVID in 20 that it was, it was natural we were going to have a really sharp uh, bounce back uh, in 2021. I mean, there was no way that 2022 was going to be a repeat of that. Um, and so some of that is just natural. Um, but from, from the employment standpoint, though, that's honestly, that's the strongest part of it. We added 517,000 jobs in January. Uh, unemployment is now at 3.4%, which is the lowest it's been since May of 1969. Oh, by the way, were you around in 1969? Uh, uh, not only was I not around, <laughs> but my, my parents were barely around in 1969. <laughs> well, you know, I was around. I was graduating from college, actually, one more year. So, hey, there wow. you go. Uh, All well, right. That's enough about that. I should have asked that question. <laughs> All right. That'll be another <laughs> hey, show. Hey, Drew, Drew, would it be fair? So I'm not necessarily the sharpest knife in the drawer, so I'm trying to think of like an easy way to phrase this. Would it be fair to say it's kind of like a car driving down the road at 50 miles per hour? That was us entering into the COVID era. Okay. And then the car stopped because the government shut down the economy. Right. And then the car started going 70 miles per hour, which was a lot faster than it should have been going. And now that we've gotten down to 65, 60, 55, everybody's freaking out because we're slowing down. But we're slowing down from a kind of a artificially high 70. We're really kind of making our way back to where we were before. Is that, that a that's, fair description in, that's in fair. general? I think that that's fair. And so what, what that what that would be is what some of us in the industry would refer to as recency bias. You're, <laughs> you're, you're accustomed to it having gone so much faster within your within your, your working memory that you expect it to always go that fast. And if it's not, then something must be wrong. All right. And that's I got not a always question, the case. Though, guys, this is important. Are you driving an F-150 or are you driving a Ford uh, Fiesta? What are you driving down this 50, 60 mile an hour deal? I'm driving well, a Tundra. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Let me ask this, though. Seriously, I'm, I appreciate the fact. I'm driving an F-150. But um, I, thinking about this, consumer spending. Consumer spending is a is major part. And, and I, I hear people say, well, gas has gotten high. Eggs have gotten high. I, I was buying something the other day that I don't even remember what it was at the drugstore or something. And I, and I noticed it was up 
much more than inflation. It was up 50 cents, which would have been about 25% more than what it should have been. So, I mean, I'm not saying that the manufacturers using inflation as a possibility to raise prices, but I felt that. What about consumer spending? Is we seeing consumer spending slow down to the point where that's creating a problem? It would Mike, I mean, he actually talks about that with his question. He didn't, I didn't write that down, but he was concerned that, you know, consumption was going down. What's your take? Uh, well, it's average, uh, real personal consumption expenditures, which is the the real consumer spending right, number right. reduced by inflation. That's averaged about 2.2% since February of, of last year. Um, it's, But it averaged about 9.7% from March of 21. That's the 70 miles that's an hour. 70 miles an hour. That's, that was Fruit. a good analogy. You know, just next time it's an F-150 you drive. Every once in a while I come up with something. You did. Yeah, you did. yeah. So, so it's yeah. Two point two percent is is a little bit lower than what we would like to see. I mean, we want to we want to see it be, it be a bit higher to be consistent with G, with a GDP closer to three and a half or four percent. So we would like to see that number go a little bit higher. But that but two point two percent is still positive growth, and that is net of inflation. Okay. Okay. So so you don't feel too bad about consumer spending. So what I'm hearing. Everybody says, I mean, not everybody, because you can almost find a mixed bag and line them up in their body equals. Some say we're headed to a recession. By the end of the year, interest rates will be five and a half percent. You know, we've got unemployment or maybe at five or some unbelievable things. I mean, you hear that. You can say the negatives. And I think that's part. And Steve, I want to talk about that. I think that's part of what Mike's concern is, is his emotions. He's maybe reading a little too much paper and yeah. watch a little too much snooze or whatever. And I think he admitted that to me. But that's something I want to talk about there is managing those emotions. But the other side of this, Drew, what you're saying is there can be, you can go right now, it's very hard to predict 2023. And this is what it's going to look like by the time we get to the end of the year. Right. I mean, it, it, it appeared around the end of the year that the Federal Reserve was close to pushing pause or, or, you know, or something close to pause on the rate hikes that maybe just a few more, uh, you know, quarter point hikes down the way. And the 10-year Treasury responded by really plunging low, uh, you know, when the expectation that right. the Fed was going to have to lower those rates right. at some point later this year or the beginning of uh, next year. Well, now, since some of these inflation numbers have, have proved more uh, resilient on the, you know, when you uh, take out food and energy, well, now the ten-year Treasury has been has shot way back up, expecting there to be perhaps more rate hikes than what we maybe were thinking. even larger rate hikes, right? More and larger, perhaps than what we than what we thought, even just at the beginning of the year. And so, I mean, these numbers change all the time. I mean, we can take a snapshot of what it looks like right now uh, and, and make certain predictions, but those predictions can go out the window, you know, just a couple of weeks into the future. Yeah, and and Mike, to your to your. Uh, concern. Uh, the University of Michigan puts out this consumer sentiment survey where they interview all these consumers and just kind of ask questions. It's, it's a generalization. How do you feel, uh, essentially? And right now, the numbers are pretty low. Um, and so, Mike, you're not alone. A lot of people are feeling uh, what you're feeling. Interestingly, if you go to J.P. Morgan, uh, J.P. Morgan's website, they have a, a thing called the Guide to the Markets, and one of the slides in that slide deck shows consumer sentiment 
at certain points in times, highs and lows, compared to what the market does in the next 12 months. And the the irony of this concern is when consumer sentiment is at highs going back 50 years, the eight peaks, the forward return in the market as measured by the S&P 500 was 4.1%. So when consumers felt as good as they could feel, the forward return was just over 4%. <laughs> and I use the word irony because when consume the eight times it was at its worst, at its lowest, the least amount of confidence, the forward return in that same index was 24.9%. So I'm not necessarily predicting, obviously, that the future repeats itself, but it tends to be that when everybody starts feeling bad, things start to turn out a little bit better. Well, the one thing keeping in mind, too, the S&P 500, as you just mentioned, is an unmanaged index of 500 large stocks. And investors, we can't invest in that index. But it does, you know, again, I appreciate what you said. Past performance is not a future indication of future performance. But the reality is that's history. Right. Measured history. You can't invest in the S&P 500 index. That's a fact. But it is measured history that we can rely on to say this is this is history. It doesn't say it's going to repeat itself, but it's a good indication. Yeah, and just to kind of explain like why that might be the case, why why would it be that when the when consumer confidence is down, that would be good for stocks? Well, if you think about it, you know what typically causes inflation to to go down ultimately. I mean, it's not higher interest rates; it's the reduced economic activity <laughs> that's caused by the higher interest rates. And so, when you start seeing the economy slow down, typically you see it take inflation with it. Back uh, to our back to our analogy. Let me just ask this question: Back to our analogy of the speeding car down the road, seventy-five miles, which was not not really; it was kind of an overreaction. Down to fifty, which would be normal. It's what you're saying is when it gets down to running thirty miles an hour. Exactly, and so. Uh, and so when you've got less spending and you have the economy slowing down, it takes inflation with it. Well, lower inflation is good for stocks. Uh, and also lower interest rates are good for stocks. Also, if companies are feeling the need to, to shed some of their labor costs, which we've seen some of over the last two months, uh, that also uh, can positively, it's perverse, but that can also positively impact a company's uh, earnings and thus boost their stocks. And so it, it, like I said, it's, it's perverse, but in a time when you start, when you start seeing a, some more job losses, when you start seeing some less, uh, you know, consumer spending, lower inflation that can actually translate into some companies looking healthier than they did the year before and having a positive impact on their stock prices. So you can't always, the point is you can't always go by, this is what I think is going on in the economy. This is the news I'm hearing. And therefore that must be bad for stocks. That's absolutely not true. That's a great point, Drew. I think that's important for us to know because in this particular case, as Mike was talking to me, I asked him what was he invested in, and he's 100% stock owner. Some of it was all individual stocks. Some of it was mutual funds and large cap, small cap. You know, Just talk about the whole idea of the plethora of things when you say stock market. He didn't have that amount of all you know the diversification, but the reality was he had a stock portfolio, a hundred percent equity portfolio. What would you be? What would be the advice? And I'm asking both of you this question because his his emotions were he he didn't use the word capitulation. I like to talk about that in a second, but he said I'm ready to throw in the towel. He was uh, depressed, remember? And he, uh, you know, and he actually I have to say this about him because he as he we continued to talk. Uh, literally, he he finally told me he said, well, maybe. Uh, maybe my depression is a little better. Said I'm thinking about maybe jumping out the window, and I'm going, 
That didn't sound good. He said, but I'm on the first floor of my house. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I sensed a little bit of relief from that standpoint, but he's in 100% equities. What would you tell him today? He's down over 25%, thinking about when he talks to me first, thinking about moving out of the market, throwing the towel, using his quote in. Uh, what would you tell him? All right. Well, you know, if you're in a if you're in an all equity portfolio and you're down 25 percent, that means that you have to make 33 uh, percent just to break even. And so you have to start thinking about, OK, what are the different asset classes that I have access to? Well, I've got cash and I've got bonds and I've got stocks. Well, is it is it possible that cash is going to return 33 percent over the, you know, over the next year or two. I can two. get that answer. I got that answer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it, you know, know. <laughs> uh, is it possible that, that... Ask me another one that easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, bonds, you know, for that. Okay, that's that another no. <laughs> right, right. And so, and so what, are you, what are you left with? Well, I mean, if you want to try to make back that loss, your, your, your best bet is to stay invested. Now, uh, we would say you'd want to be diversified. And so just like we're talking about the economy, well, okay, housing is, is kind of going one way. Manufacturing is going another way. Retail sales are kind of going in an all different direction. Well, those are, I mean, that's not abstract. Those are actual companies. And so companies that are in the business, in business in those sectors are going to perform differently, not just in terms of their their revenues and their, and their earnings, but also in terms of how their stock performs. And so you want to have a diversified portfolio across those different industries so that you're benefiting from the movements that are occurring in the economy at large. Uh, and so you want to have your large companies, but you also want to have your small companies. You want to have your companies that are that are overseas because there are great companies there as well. You just want a good diversified basket of of uh, of stocks so that you can benefit from what's going on in the world as a whole. You know, I think that's important. Again, just to remind people, neither asset allocation, we talk about stocks, bonds, and cash, neither asset allocation nor diversification guarantees against loss. I mean, it's a method, and it's method to manage risk, but it's not a guarantee against loss. But I appreciate you saying that because in his case, as he talked about being 100% in stocks, it was amazing he was 100% in large-cap growth stocks. I mean, he didn't have that, what we were talking about in diversification, and had taken a beating uh, growth stocks had, as you know. Of course, that had also been what brought him to the table. He ended up getting that emotions, and Steve, I want to talk about that. When the market was taking off after that point of time we were running at 75 miles an hour, the reality was, what did he load up with? What was doing well. Right. And, uh, you know, you see that this is a person who, again, was articulate, very smart, had been a do-it-yourselfer for a while, but all of a sudden found himself emotionally exhausted because of what was happening to his growth portfolio. And it was a large amount of money. It wasn't uh, $100,000. This man had been built it pretty nicely, but he was losing, and he was continually losing. He understood volatility. What goes up goes down. He under talked about that. But I think his idea of the emotional bank account was exhausted. And I, well, and Jim, I love the words you're using there because one of the things that we've started uh, really working through with clients it, over the last six, 12 months is differentiating between financial risk tolerance, meaning you've done some planning and based on that plan, here's the amount of risk that you have of not meeting your goal. 
So that's financial risk tolerance and emotional risk tolerance, which really more deals with the word volatility. What am I willing to tolerate? And so to me, when I'm listening to that question, I'm thinking, okay, well, Mike needs to make sure that he is nailed down. Here's what I'm actually trying to accomplish from a financial standpoint. Based on that, we can look back at history. We can we can make some assumptions about the future, and we can come up with some level of reasonable um, guess because that's really what it is—a reasonable guess based on history, though, of what things are likely to look like over time and what the likelihood of his success is. Is and that is his financial risk tolerance. And if somebody has a high financial risk tolerance, but emotionally, they just don't want to deal with the ups and downs. Well, that's that's fine. But it's good to know that those two things are separate. And it's volatility is the emotional part. What am I willing to tolerate, which is important? And financially, what can I accept in terms of risk of not meeting my financial goals? You mentioned history. And as you talk about those two and with history, we all know that at least in our lifetime and in and, and my lifetime, for sure, I've watched the market have some phenomenal years. I mean, just off the chart, great years. I've seen the market have some disastrous years. They all come and go. As you talk about knowing that volatility and the whole emotional side of that, we have to have faith in what we're investing in. And that's the great companies of the world. And we don't want to buy junk. And occasionally we might buy junk. That's just the nature of the beast. We try to make those mistakes few and far between, and that's why we use managers that do it every day and are constantly making changes inside the mutual fund. And today, with the number of mutual funds that we have and the cost-effectiveness of a mutual fund, it just makes good sense. But we always have to understand what goes up can come down, will come down, and what comes down will go up. And that's just embrace, embrace it if you're going to be in the market. What we determined with him, he was exhausted from the emotional ride by himself. He mm. needed professional help. And it wasn't a professional counseling help. It was somebody to hold his hand, as you said, talking to your clients, assuring them. That's what he was really saying. And his client that referred him to us to talk to him literally was saying, call Jim, talk to him, and help him understand. And that's what I think I appreciated from what was going on in this conversation. And again, I love a couple of those words, that, that word exhausted. If, if what you're doing in your investing is constantly trying to make higher highs, if, if that's what you're always after, that will be exhausting. It will be an exhausting exercise because it'll be few and far between the days that your portfolio is ever at an all-time high. I mean, that's the reality. But if you're measuring against a future financial objective and you've done planning around that, you can alleviate so much of that exhaustion because in that financial plan, we're going to embed ups and downs and ebbs and flows and good times and bad times. And so, I mean, again, it's it's this idea of if, if you've done a good job planning and laying out a strategy to get from point A to point B, then a lot of that exhaustion can can kind of go away. I've heard you say this, too, and I think that having a long-term vision, and that's kind of that planning mindset of success. What is success defined as, and it's not tomorrow. It's a long-term. And this is what we kind of helped him understand, that his vision needed to be out there, mm. not five weeks. Yeah. And he was living in that emotional bank account. I want to remind people, again, if you want that 
PDF I talked about earlier, don't panic. Go to Shoemaker Financial Facebook page. It's absolutely free, and it's be well worth what we're talking about here because we're covering that topic a lot and what it's important. Why do you say stay invested, Steve? Why would we say that's important? Well, I mean, to, to one point, um, I mean, there's all sorts, there's mounds of research that, that point to this idea that um, if you try to time getting in and out of the market, that is a very poor strategy for long-term success in the market. Better is the strategy of keeping your money in the market, tilting, maybe tilting your portfolio, which we do all the time towards things that we think are going to do better than other things over time. But staying invested is the name of the game. Plus, on, for our purposes, we typically are using funds, and those managers inside the funds are moving money around from uh, the, you know, points of interest for best opportunities in the future to, away from things that they, they feel less strongly about. So you know, when, you're, when you're constantly getting in and out of the market, you're really undermining your long-term success. Oh, that's a great point. Great way to close out this part of the segment of the program. I want to remind you that... Uh, if you want to talk with these guys, you can do that, especially Dr. Kevin Westbrook. His telephone number is 901-258-0227. I want to thank you, Kevin, again for that uh, great interview concerning chat GPT. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, I don't even, that's not going to try to pronounce it, just chat GPT. That's my objective for this program. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, Jim, for being for allowing me to be here. And Steve Anderson and Drew Johnson, guys, if you want to talk to them, it's 901-757-5757. They've talked about the economy. They've talked about staying invested. Done a great job putting all that together. You can find the show Talk Money on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. If you have questions, type it to JIM, Jim at 0989-683-0989. To find a copy of that PDF I mentioned earlier, it's don't panic. Simply go to Shoemaker Financial Facebook page. It's absolutely free. Next week, my guest, Greg Valliere, Chief U.S. Policy Strategist for AGF Investments. Going to get an update on Washington. Scott Jordan and Daniel Orman will be here with me. That's Saturday morning at 7 and Sunday at 9 a.m. Thank my producer, Tyler Springs, guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner, production assistant, Laura Norsworthy, and, of course, compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong and Kimberly Holtis. Thanks for listening. We're here for you each and every week, helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Steve Anderson, and Drew Johnson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.